Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. We are so glad that you would join us and and really honored that you would take some time to listen to what we have to say. We love our podcast family, and we are here with an episode talking about women in ministry. Obviously, from the title, you know what you have clicked on and what you're about to to hear us talk about, and we're really excited. And it's just me, Becky Johnson, and Phil joining us from Atlanta. Come on. It's so good to be uh, just the two of us. The coup has officially begun. <laughs> it's true. If people are wondering where Banning is, we have locked him in a closet <laughs> for this conversation. No, he's, he's, I don't know. I don't know. He's probably doing something with his greenhouse. He's been building lots of things on his Instagram, just showing people um, a whole new side of Banning has come out. It's real. I mean, I honestly, it, I never expected it. <laughs> I never have. You, I've known him for a long time, and him having power tools and building things—it's impressing all of us. It's very <laughs> impressive. It really. Is. Oh. Well, um, we're we're talking. We'll just get right into the topic today, and and the title is "Women in Ministry," and uh, I will just start off by saying this is one of the most requested. I requested or asked about topics um, when people DM our account um, or talk about, you know, stuff we're covering. Um, we did, we touched on it a while ago, a couple months ago, we did, we did an episode on it, but it wasn't, it was more, um, it was just a, a lighter conversation. We didn't really go in depth. We didn't go into any the, the, theological explanations. We didn't address the passages. We more talked about how our culture at Jesus culture is really, um, we celebrate women in ministry. And so we, t- we talked about that and I gave maybe a little bit of perspective on what it's been like for me as a woman in ministry. But uh, it was interesting, the questions that came after that. And then even still people um, just, just genuinely curious, just genuinely curious on, you know, what we think about it, what's, what we believe that scripture says about it. And so we thought, you know, um, let's just tackle it. Let's take some time to dedicate, to dedicate to this topic. Let's explore it. Let's talk about what the scripture says and, um, what they mean and our understanding of them and how we are submitted to them. And, um, you know, at the same time, recognize that we are, we are in the camp where we believe in women in ministry. Obviously, I am a, I am on the senior leadership team at Jesus Culture. I am a youth pastor leading a department, and I've been doing that for the last uh, six years. Have been prominently leading in our in our ministry as a woman, and so, um, yeah. So I, I'm excited. I'm really excited about the conversation. And I think we knew uh, Becky after our last podcast where we hit on this that. Um, this is something that really, if we're going to help people, it, it, it really is something that we have to talk about in, in a lot more depth. And I don't think um, anyone who's been part of the, the Church of America for a while or the church historic, uh, that this is a, a hard conversation because mm-hmm. um, we are a people of the scriptures and the scriptures are, uh, are, are where we base all of our thinking and all of authority out of. And so this has to be a conversation, not because we believe one way or another out of culture, but actually trying to answer the question, what we believe the Bible actually teaches. And that's what we're, we'll be talking about today in this conversation is not just our opinions or our experience or what we'd like to <laughs> celebrate. It's actually, we're going to dive into to those restrictive passages that peop, the, there's two that come up um, that Paul wrote. And um, I, I recently, you know, I posted something on my Instagram, Phil, just, um, gosh, as a, as a female youth pastor, I'm walking with young, young girls and... Um, Again, this is a, a newer this is a newer experience for me because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't come to ministry with a paradigm, um, with a paradigm that needed to be shifted. Thankfully, I, I mean my my introduction into Christianity was within a church that believed in in women in ministry that celebrated it. And so, um, as I've been, you know, a Christian now for many years and, and walking with young girls, I had posted something that just I just wanted to encourage young girls that follow me, um, that, hey, if you have a heart to lead, to preach, to be in ministry, and you have a heart to be a mom and a wife, you can do both. That's where I find myself and the the season of life that I'm in, I'm figuring it out. And I was so, I was so surprised at the amount of um, 
One, it was the amount of thank you for saying this. You know, there's not a lot of women who are saying this. But then also just there were some people who were really concerned (laughs) that, um, oh, you are, please be careful to not lead our young girls astray. This is not biblical. This is not... um, this is not theologically sound. And Phil, you know, just to be completely humble and and honest, I had entered in a, a conversation over DM with a girl. And at first I was really frustrated. I said, you know, hey, this is what I believe the scriptures say. And actually you're wrong. And, and she responded back and, you know, she said, I'm really heartbroken. Like I have been raised by really wonderful um, men in ministry who love me. And, and, and basically was saying, you know, my father's a pastor, my grandfather was a pastor, and we have come to a theological understanding that this, that women in ministry are not, are, are not, it's not allowed. And I actually just, I had to take a moment and I repented and I, I had to see it from from her perspective like, oh, I have probably not done a great job at respecting and honoring those who have come to a different conclusion. And 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 her heart really was concerned that this message would begin to lead young people astray from biblical truths and foundations. And so I think, you know, Phil and I when we were talking about having this conversation, that was the first thing we said is we want to First, make sure that we're honoring those who have come to different theological conclusions. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's fun is this this uh, podcast is going to be uh, really a, a theological conversation. And I, I think it's going to be a first of a type that we do from time to time and, and, and really begin to ask these questions about why we believe what we believe. And, and yeah, I think, I think this is where we have to start is mm-hmm. that uh, we are... Uh, a people submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And we believe that the authority of Scripture is how we know rightly who He is, and it is actually an extension of His authority. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the infallible Word of God, but Jesus has given His authority to this thing called the Scriptures, which we now recognize is also the Word of God. And and I do want to say that um, I believe, you know, when, when people talk about this issue, they fall into kind of two, uh, you, you can fall into two kind of theological paradigms, what they call complementarian, which would not believe uh, in, in, you know, in, in, in extensions of women in ministry to, to some level, uh, either ex- in, in every dimension or in some dimension. Or you have uh, the community that they call egalitarians, which are people who would believe in the equality and of women and therefore the, the role of women in, in all of ministry. And okay. I think that what we have to honor is that both of these sides are deeply influenced by culture. And much of, mm-hmm. uh, and sadly, I would just say this, much of what people believe about uh, women in ministry, I think, is more of their uh, understanding of the cultural beliefs than it is about a genuine and deep study of the Bible. And this is why we have to be a people of the Word, because uh, honestly, I will submit to Jesus and submit to the Word of Jesus, whether it offends my cultural ideals or not. Um, yeah. I am unashamed. And if the conviction of the Word of God is that there is restriction in any way, then I will with joy be shaped by that restriction because I know God is good and everything he does is good and everything he does is for my flourishing. Mm-hmm. And so we have to come back to this. And I say this to everyone, whether you believe in women in ministry uh, in every level, whether you believe in women in ministry to some level, or whether you wouldn't believe in women in ministry at all, we have to come to those convictions because of the Lordship of Jesus and the authority of the New Testament. And we can trust that. And I just mm-hmm. want to say that that's a whole nother conversation, but the Bible mm-hmm. is true. The Bible is trustworthy and we can come to it and, uh, and we need to submit our lives to this. And I know that even that, even, even maybe there's some who need to hear that. And there's some uh, women who feel like they're uh, in places where they aren't believed in. And that's mm-hmm. a point of pain. But I would say this, there is, uh, there is beauty in pain. And mm-hmm. there is, uh, there's something that we have to know. We cannot build our theology out of reaction. I, I've said this before, but any theology we build, build out of reaction is a bad theology. Mm-hmm. We have to build all of our thinking out of Jesus and out of the word that he's given us, um, not just respond to what we like or don't like. And I I think for us as people who believe in women in ministry, this is an important thing to say. Um, Our our, uh, unity is not with people who believe in women in ministry. Mm. Our unity is with people who are submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. 
anyone who submits themselves to the lordship of Jesus and comes to a different conclusion on women in ministry because of his authority and his word. They are our brothers and sisters and must be treated with great and profound respect. And I would say that vice versa, that I would challenge all who would not hold to women in ministry to realize, I hope maybe you've never seen it in this light before, but this is a far more complicated biblical issue than I believe that some have given credit for and that there must be a charity. There's this old quote that I think goes all the way back to, you know, Augustine about unity in the essentials and charity in the non-essentials. And there is a few things of non-negotiable nature. Jesus was God. Jesus rose from the dead. He is uh, the now the only way to the Father. There are aspects and, and more that are that there are the essentials of the Christian faith, and then there are many that are important, but they are—they uh, are not—they are not in nature uh, doctrines of salvation. Doctrines, yeah. uh, that, and so we have to hold these things in charity. We have to love one another well, and we have to honor the body of Christ. And I do say, for many, I believe who believe in women in ministry are highly informed by culture and why they do that, and that is not our authority. Our authority is not feminism. Our authority Mm -hmm. is not desire. Our authority is nothing to do with cultural beliefs. It has everything to do with Jesus. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, actually, as I talk with, you know, men, women about this topic, I mean, it's not something that I shy away from. I'm not afraid to talk about it because um, I feel very confident in my own study and my own understanding of the theology of why. What I actually find is there are a... I don't want to say majority um, because I don't, I'm not. I can't speak for everyone, but the majority of people that I experience who um, would hold the would you say it's called complementarian view, right? They actually it's just because that's what they've been told, but they've not actually done their own study, and that's one of the most heartbreaking things. When we get into the conversation, I say, well what have you um, come to understand about that verse in, in first Timothy? And they're, they're like, well, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never really looked into it. <laughs> so that I think is part of our burden too, to have this conversation um, to say, you know, I mean, in something we say all the time, the believer has a responsibility to study the word. If you're, you know, that this is for us to come under authority and um, submission of the word. It's for it's for us to dive into, to study and to understand why God's heart is that we would, we would, you know, explore his word and not just, oh, it's, you know, not just surface level understanding, but a, a deep yeah. understanding. And we need that. And, and, and it, we are living in one of the most biblically illiterate uh mm-hmm generations of Christians ever, and we are facing the consequences of that in, in yeah. so many ways. And, you know, uh, we, you know, in my own life, right, we are a church that believes and empowers women. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife and I genuinely uh, co-lead our church. And in the uniqueness of our season of four kids, uh, I have taken a more prominent uh, chair in that in this season, and there's no denying that. But we genuinely lead from oneness, and Emily's authority is uh, uh, is the authority of a lead pastor. And um, and even I'll just say this to honor her for when she listens to this and anyone else that so many of the thoughts I share, even as I walk through the theology of women in ministry, um, are 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 so many of of her and I's conversations and the profound biblical understanding that she carries. My wife is a biblical scholar. And um, and so anyways, I am going to, uh, uh, you know, sp- I'm speaking, uh, but in many ways, uh, it would be dishonoring to Emily to, to not have her, uh, that, that so much of her uh, conviction, beliefs, and, and understanding of the word come into this as well. So, um, and, and I think that we have to, I want to even, but, but in my church, uh, especially in the South, uh, there are many people who've come into our community who uh, who have never been a part of a church that believe in women in ministry or who hold convictions that are varying to that. And I think I would actually say some of my heroes of my church are people who have convictions about the role of women in the church that are different than mine, yet they view it and they hold it as, an, as a non-essential thing. And they have partnered with our church and are vibrant loving, healthy people in our community. And I really think it shows a maturity. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's something we need to reclaim is mm-hmm. a maturity in the midst of this conversation. Oh, I love that. I think that's important. 
I feel like that's that's like good groundwork for this conversation, and and hopefully people feel you know I I mean it's my genuine desire that people are listening to this with with both views and we'll lean in, we'll lean into the conversation, not turn it off, but, you know, feel that uh, no matter where you fall, no matter which camp you fall in, you feel that this conversation is something that you can listen to and that you feel the honor exuding from, from us. And so, um, yeah, Phil, Phil, um, you know, you are, you have, you are more studied than I am. We talk, Phil's our in-house theologian, we say. (laughs) our scholar. And so you're going to lead this conversation. Um, and you just, you know, through, through your own education and experience and years have, you know, a lot of understanding um, more so than I would, but, um, we talked a little bit beforehand on how we would have this conversation and kind of three things that we wanted to hit. And so let's just dive into that first, that first point we wanted to hit. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I, I, um, and I, you know, when I, when I think about this for, for everybody who's listening, you know, again, I would say that you listen, we are Jesus culture. So um, we are an unashamed people of the Holy Spirit, and we are unashamed people in our convictions about women. And so as you enter into this, where you would listen and hold to some things differently, uh, just do it with honor. You know, you're, you know, um, if I were to come into and listen to someone else who holds different convictions, while I would maybe hold some differences. I would recognize I'm, I'm entering into their conversation. I would want to treat it with great honor. And uh, my hope is that I can at least expose to, to people uh, the, the, the genuine significance of how much the Bible invites us into the life and the role of women. I, I want to say this so clearly. I believe in women in ministry because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. And I believe that's the vision of the scriptures. And you might, people might, you know, hold it differently, but to to say anything else about what I believe or about what you believe um, is actually not true. And, and again, uh, this is a conversation that you could do your entire doctorate on and you, and, and many books of many, many, many pages have been written on. So even in this, I want to try to walk through this in a very holistic way, but in the essence of a podcast, that's also going to be quick. And uh, while I, I do believe we'll do a good job of uh, uh, walking through this in wholeness, uh, we also recognize that we could stop on every single point we're making and have an entire episode. So this might still need to be something that provokes people to further study and further reading and further understanding. And just, we, we need to hold that. So here's what I want to start with. I just want to walk through uh, the vision of women in the Bible uh, and uh, in places of ministry and why we would come to the conclusion that the Bible speaks to this incredible and beautiful role of women in ministry. And then after that, we're going to look at two passages that are different and, and how we see those and how we hold those and what that means together. And one of the hard parts with the Bible when it comes to women in ministry is all of the voices of uh, where we see women thriving in ministry are found in narrative and then the two places that of challenge are found in, a, in an epistle format. And so they're a lot easier to kind of take directly where we have to do better theological understanding. So I'm going to dive into this. And then Becky, yeah. you just, you listen, you talk, walk with me, you know, speak yeah. back and, and uh, you just, just walk with me. So it, here, so I'm just going to go through a biblical vision of women in ministry. Is that all right? Love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, listen, first, it has to start in creation. And we, we, we understand that actually when Paul, when he's talking about so many things, when he talks about gender, when he talks about marriage, when he talks about so many things, he, he goes back to Genesis as a vision and an authority. And for us, it is as well. And this is important, right? Because even, even what we have to understand is that there is a, uh, I think the fear of people who do not believe in women in ministry are saying, when you open that door, you are opening up doors to other things, mm. things like progressive Christianity, things like uh, uh, coming in and compromising the scripture. And I actually want to say, I think that fear is a right place of concern and conviction. And we as the church need to actually go, hey, listen, there are hard stances in the scripture that are going to confront our culture. And we we need to be willing to take those stands. What I, what I want to say is that I don't think that needs to be applied to the place of women in ministry, but I honor that concern. And so Genesis does a few things. First, it uh, it reminds us that both men and women are fully created in the image of God. Both men and women are image bearers. 
And both men and women are actually given the same initial call, which is to rule over. This was not an assignment just for Adam. It was an assignment for Adam and Eve. They were both called to rule over, and both are given the distinct characterization of being very good, set apart from all other creation is only good. And so there's just something in there that we have to recognize that the initial assignment to man and woman was of, of co-equal co-laboring. And mm-hmm. I believe that this is God's intended design for men and women and, uh, and that we need to see that. I also believe that the vision of Genesis teaches us that men and women are different. And that mm-hmm. is important too. We hold that. Our belief about the equality of women in ministry are, is not a statement that gender doesn't matter. Gender does matter. Yeah. Gender isn't fluid. Gender is actually created in the order of God. Gender is important. Gender is part of God's design. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, but there is something that we have to understand. Men and women are different, but they mm-hmm. are not different in their image bearing, in their mm-hmm. call to rule, and in their status of who they are mm-hmm. is very good before God. And even when we see the story of when God is now in Genesis 2, he's recognizing that there's something lacking in Adam that mm-hmm. uh, now needs what is called uh, in the scriptures a suitable helper in Eve. We even misunderstand that. It's really easy for that phrase to become uh, uh, almost secondary, that, that Eve is a helper in nature. Yeah. And um uh, but that's not actually what this passage is communicating at all. Really interesting. The word that's used to this idea of suitable is a very important word for, for other conversations, but it's one we have to know. It, it, it's a strange word. It literally means like and not like. You know, when the vision of, of Eve coming uh, out of the rib of Adam, uh, it, it actually that word doesn't mean rib, like it means side. And part of that is the poetic vision that God took Adam's side and mm-hmm. he made something like and not like him, right? Of him and different. And there's part of that that's really important. Men and women are like and not like. And that's what makes them actually an authoritative rule uh, to pair both in family and in creative order and in all things, that there is something they need. And this word helper, while it certainly does mean helper, every single other place this this word is used in scripture is in reference to God. God is wow. our divine helper and it is his role that he carries. It is the, the scriptures either use it towards God as helper or towards when Israel looked to false kings as their helper and they were insufficient. And so this word helper, really what it is, it's a vision of military aid. It's when God would come to Israel's defense and he would fight on their behalf. It's, it's a vision, certainly a vision of helping, but it is not a subordinate vision of helping. It's not a lesser than vision of helping. And unless you think God the Father is subordinate to Adam and subordinate to Israel, you can't hold it that way. This is actually a vision that there was something Adam lacked and Eve came in as a like and not like military aid. She came to help him. Adam could not fully rule on his own, and he desperately needed one who was like and not like him. And this is who Eve is in this beautiful, poetic, creative story of, of our creation. And I think that's important because what it means is that actually the assignment given to man cannot be fulfilled without woman. It is something that deeply matters. And so we need to hold it that way. And then we even get, you know, to the to the fall, Genesis 3, and we see the nature of the curse. And I think this is really important. People don't understand that actually both Adam and Eve are cursed in the same way. Their labor gets cursed and their origin gets cursed. Adam's nature connection to the dust gets dirst, cursed and Eve's origin out of Adam's side gets cursed. And when you look at Adam, uh, Eve's curse, what does it say? That something gets broken of what was intended in the creative order. And now man will rule over her and she will long for her husband. There's a, it, it, there's several ways you can look at it. Again, we can't get too deep into it, but what, what, what right. we recognize is that it's a part of the curse that the way Adam and Eve were meant to function side by side has now been shifted. And there mm-hmm. is a hierarchy of man on top and woman on bottom. Now I wanna be very clear that the Bible affirms that men are different than women and women are different than men. Any biblical vision of women in ministry that wants to change that is unbiblical. Men have been called to be men and they are different than women. And women have been called to be women and they are different than men. But we have to recognize now the shift that has taken place of a, of a male over and a female under is actually the curse itself. And our vision of what new creation has done is not to somehow function in the curse it is to get back to what God always intended. And when you even get into Ephesians 5 and, and Paul's vision of marriage, which he bases out of Genesis, what we see is husband reaching down towards wife, 
wife reaching back up to her husband to do what? That they would come back into the creative order of equality. Mutual submission is how Paul begins the entire passage of Paul's thinking around marriage distinctly within unique roles. There are unique roles. There are assignments for men. There are assignments for women. Uh, but we recognize them. So this is first. First, we have to understand that this Genesis vision actually has authority. And there is a, there is a co-ruling. There is a co-ruling that men and women were always called into. And then we get into stories in the Bible. So <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to keep going. Well, saying, yeah, like, so if you, don't, if you don't understand that, right? So I'm, I'm already going, wow, this is, like you, it, this is like watching a movie starting in the middle. Like you're not going to understand so much. And this is where I see, oh, okay, so this is where Bible illiteracy and just poor understanding and study you know, if you don't understand Genesis, and this is actually something I teach my youth. We spend a lot of time in Genesis as a youth group because I'm like, guys, if you don't understand the beginning, you're going to struggle with the 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 rest. And so right there, I'm like, okay, that's that sets. And I have I have actually heard, I've heard so much teaching. Well, men rule over women because Genesis three, it says that. And you go, well, hold on. <laughs> That's actually part of the curse. That's that design. So I love that right there. And again, this is we're we're not here having a conversation about marriage. So that would be a totally yeah. another conversation. And what I also, you know, Paul's really clear uh, in marriage that husband is the head of the wife, as Christ mm-hmm. is the head of the church. But even that is something we do not understand well. There are many Greek words which mean authority, ruler, uh, and Paul doesn't use those words. He uses head, which actually is a vision of a unique. Uh, role of Christ as servant protector. That is an exclusive call to the husband towards his wife. And so again, I want to make this clear. Our vision of women in ministry is connected that uh, men have been called to things and women have been called to things. The beauty of what we believe is they've both been called to ministry. And um, so then we see examples, right? First, we have Miriam, uh, who is a part of you know Moses's family, and she is two things. She is part of the the triad that rules over Israel. She is on the uh, you know the senior leadership team of Israel, yep. makes many decisions alongside Moses and Aaron, and actually is the key to Moses and Aaron not hating each other all the time. <laughs> and then we see that she's also a prophetess. She has yep. authority. She speaks with authority over the Israeli people, over the Hebrew people. And she is a genuine picture of a woman in ministry. Then we have Deborah, who was one of the judges of Israel. She was the fourth judge of Israel. She was also a prophetess. And so we see that Deborah not only functions in a spiritual authority as a prophetess, but in a ruling authority as uh, as a judge, which by the way, was God's decision. And um, that says something, right? And I want to say this, like even I, I, I understand the Old Testament is not the New Testament, and mm-hmm. uh, the structure of Israel is not the structure of the church. But I also remind you of the scripture that says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God found fitting that he would empower women in the Old Testament, it speaks to something about his nature, and it speaks to something about what he believes. Then we have Huldah, the prophetess. You know, Huldah uh, was a trusted, again, prophetic voice to the Israeli people and to the kingdom of Israel. And we actually see, right, it's uh, it's, it's when Josiah uh, finds the book of the law and in, in deep repentance becomes aware that uh, they have not been following this. Who does he turn to? He turns to Huldah. He wow. comes, he and his counsel come to Huldah, say, what, you know, unpack this. What do we do? They, he submits to and receives her instruction as a prophetess of the Lord, a significant place of leadership. Then we have, of course, Queen Esther and, uh, and her role in the leadership of Israel and as the, as the queen. And, um, and, and we can't take that away. And you might go, well, of course, she's queen. She has a unique leadership role, but still is an incredibly important woman in this place of leadership and, uh, and life. And, and, and I say that, and there, and I, there are other examples, but just to keep moving forward, the Old Testament captures a vision of women in places of leadership. Yes, more men than women, but there's still undeniable a reality of women in ministry in the Old Testament. And then when we get into the New Testament, what I love is, you know, when I, I think about the moment in Luke chapter 10 and uh, Mary and Martha, and Martha's busy in the kitchen and Mary comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus. Martha's upset and says, uh, will you please tell my sister to get where she belongs? And Jesus says, actually, Martha, it's uh, your sister has chosen the better, right? That's his exact phrase. Mary has chosen the better. 
and, and when people talk about this passage, they always talk about it in the idea of like work and intimacy. Like, well, we, we can work for God and we can be intimate with God. And yeah. certainly this passage has some, some elements of that, but that's nothing about what's happening. Martha was where women should be culturally. And mm-hmm. Mary was where men should be culturally. Mary was where the disciples were. Falling at the feet of Jesus was the posture of a disciple. That's exactly what that phrase meant. And when Mary chooses not to be where she should be as a woman, but to be at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, Jesus says to her sister, she has chosen the better. There's a statement that is significant in that. Then we get to, you know, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, who obviously is this incredible woman in the story of the scriptures, rescued by Jesus from so many things. And uh, of course, in the resurrection story is the one who goes to find Jesus. He's not there. She sees uh, who she thinks is the gardener and asks him where they have taken her Lord. And then it is here. She realizes she is talking to Jesus himself. He speaks her name and Mary becomes the first witness of the resurrection, the first apostle of the resurrection. What are apostles? Apostles are those who walked with the Lord and had authority in that place. And I'm not saying that she was then considered a quote-unquote apostle, but she carried that nature. And we have to see that with Jesus. Jesus wasn't doing accidents. This wasn't a, a random circumstance. Jesus chose to reveal himself first to a woman who became uh, the first one to declare the resurrection to the world. And by the way, even when Jesus's first act of public ministry, people don't often know this, Jesus's first act of public ministry was with a Samaritan woman at a well, that his first act of declaring who he was in public was by encountering a Samaritan woman who was in desperate need. And and she went what? She went and evangelized to her entire community. Um, And I, I love these images. And what we see is that women were around Jesus. Again, there were 12 male disciples. I don't push back on that and don't, don't, uh, uh, don't disrespect that. But we see women were constantly in the community of Jesus and constantly found themselves as disciples of Jesus. And then we get into the rest of the New Testament, right? We have Lydia in Philippi, who is, um, who is recognized as a, a leader in the church community. And we see this not only from in the book of Philippians, but we see this in Acts. And even in the book of Acts, part of what we believe, right? Hosea promised something, that one day the Spirit would come and it would come on all flesh, distinctly mm-hmm. young and old, male and female. So whatever this work of the Spirit was, was a work uh, not just for men, not just for the few, not just for kings and priests and prophets. It was a work for all. And God would promised he would pour out his Spirit. By the way, in at the end of, uh, or the beginning of Acts and the end of chapter one, uh, Jesus is clear that Spirit is going to come and it's the Spirit's empowerment that is going to cause you to be a witness of who I am. And that same Spirit fell on women. And yeah. we see that. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that uh, uh, in all of these places. We see Phoebe, who's a deacon and servant of the church. And by the way, that word deacon is the exact same word that's used for many men. And Paul uses it for himself. There is no reason to believe that this idea of who she was in a local church setting was somehow different. She was mm-hmm. given the title of deacon, which was a unique title of leader of the church. And also she, uh, all scholars all agree with this, that she was given the task of carrying the letter of Romans to the church of Rome. And what we don't understand is if you were a letter carrier, um, it did not just simply mean that you transported the letter, you were the orator of the letter. People forget that the Bible is written to be read out loud. That doesn't mean it's it's a problem if you don't. It just means uh, maybe only 5% of the world at the time of the New Testament was literate. All of these letters were meant to be read in community. If you were the letter carrier, you were both the letter orator and the letter explainer where they had questions. Phoebe comes to the most theologically dense book to Rome, and she not only carries the letter, she would have orated the letter, and she would have explained any questions on Paul's behalf in the midst of that letter. It's a significant place of authority. And um, we have Judea and Syntyche, uh, who Paul calls co-workers. That's his phrase for them. These are women who are in conflict with each other, and he's calling them to unity. But when he's speaking of them, calls them co-workers of the gospel, um, that, that's something. That's yeah. something. It's a, yeah. You're not a co-worker of the gospel if you're not active in the life of ministry. Yeah. We see the book of Acts and the book of Romans talk about Priscilla. 
She's a disciple maker. The book of Acts tells us implicitly that she helped disciple Apollos, one of the main uh, apostolic leaders of the early church. And when Paul references her and her husband in the book of Romans, he mentions her name first, which was mm. very significant in the New Testament world. You mention the name of the person first who is most prominent. And wow. he is actually making a statement that Priscilla is the prominent of the two. Uh, then we have, you know, uh, again, the book of Romans has a lot of different names of people that are leading. We have Trifana, Trifosa, Persis, Julia, all noted leaders in, in, uh, in, in the church of Rome. You could say maybe they were just hosts of house churches. Um, but they, uh, but I actually would say that Paul's probably writing to the leaders of those house churches. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Becky? Oh, I was just going to say, it's so, um, if you don't even know that those names are female, <laughs> you know, because it's like, that's just so important, the, the importance of, of looking at these and study. And I've just, I've got some, when you, when we're through with this, I've got some things to say about just the, when you don't have a holistic view, what I'm seeing is when you don't have a holistic view, like, wow, you, what you miss out on is all, yeah. So, you know, I've just, I've just heard so many times, Phil, well, there's no examples of women in ministry in the Bible. There's just no examples. I'm like, and here we are <laughs> this far in Old Testament and new and going, wow, how, how did we miss? How did you miss that? They're everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the book of Acts says that Philip's daughters were prophetesses recognized by the entire early church. And, uh, and again, what we misunderstand about that, not only do we understand that that's their role, that they would have been there for prophetesses to the church publicly, um, but that uh, Paul's pretty clear that the, the structure of the early church gave authority not to local pastors. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they did church different than we did. And by the way, we should go back in some ways <laughs> to how they did church. But authority was to the apostles and the prophets. Yeah. And, um, and this, so this role of women uh, functioning as known trusted prophetesses to the local church uh, is, is important. Uh, and then we have what, what I think is one of the greatest examples uh, in the book of Romans, which is Junia. Uh, and there's been a lot of debate, you know, is this, is this Junius a man or is this Junia a woman? And almost every scholar, even complementarian scholars agree, this is most definitely Junia a woman. And it says two things about her. First, she's in prison for the Lord. Uh, and I want to tell you, this is before the great persecution begins on the church, which means wow. random Christians are not being thrown into prison at this moment. Who would have been thrown into prison? Paul and people like Paul, people who were leading public ministry. And then that says this phrase of her, uh, that she was great among the apostles. I admit that's a hard phrase to understand exactly what it means. Does it mean the apostles thought she was great? Does it mean that uh, that she was an apostle herself? Mm -hmm. Does it mean that she was great uh, among this community of apostles? Mm -hmm. And that either that could, the truth is, I don't know. I don't think there's any way to know exactly what that phrase means. But I would say a woman in prison for doing something who the apostles considered esteemed is pretty high. I think there's a chance this is a, an apostle herself or at minimum a woman of ministry who is revered by the apostolic community. And, and, and so this in many ways is this, uh, this vision. Women in ministry are all over the Bible. They're all over the Bible. Yes. <laughs> Phil, could we, could, I wrote down a question. So I'm like, wow, this is so important. One, that we have a holistic view. And I would just encourage, you know, listeners to, like you said, it's like another conversation, the Bible literacy, the need to study the word, like that right there. I'm like, wow, so much, so much debate I feel would get solved by just going, <laughs> let's just get a holistic view of, of what's in scripture. But how did, how did we, and maybe this will lead us into our next point where we're going to actually look at, okay, so there we have all of that. What about <laughs> the two passages that are used? How did we get, how did we get to a, a view of I mean, is it really because of these two restrictive passages um, in it's, you know, what is it? First Timothy and then first Corinthians, first Corinthians, second Corinthians. Um, how, is it really like these two verses re did so much, <laughs> caused so much confusion on that entire, 
view of women in ministry, representation of women leading, honor of women and what they were what they were doing for the gospel and how they would and their their prophecy and their their leadership and their influence. Like how did we get to a place <laughs> where there there is a large portion of the body of Christ that that don't believe in uh, empowering women in ministry is is culture that strong? <laughs> yeah, well, t- yes. Again, that that's probably a, a whole other conversation. Yeah. So I'll just say a couple things quickly. One, it most certainly, has an aspect of those passages, and as we'll get into them, are again uh, seemingly pretty clear. And yeah. I would I would admit, uh, and honestly, I say this: if all we had was First Timothy and First Corinthians, um, I would uh, I would not. Uh, believe in the full empowerment of women in leadership in the way I do. I would be, I am submitted to those passages and I'll explain that. And I would be. And so again, I honor that, that there is a, there is a directive strength because they're epistles. They're different. We're talking, we've just uh, one. And second would be that we would have to understand that what has gotten into the church so many times has been really faulted viewpoints on lots of things. Mm-hmm. But clearly, when you go back to the early church fathers, and I love and respect the early church fathers, these I really do, they got some things really off. And specifically, if you look at some of the quotes of early church fathers around women, they are derogatory. They're not just women shouldn't lead because of the Bible. Clearly, the Bible, even if you don't believe in women in ministry, honors, respects, and affirms women. There's no disrespect to women in the scripture, right? Right. And Jesus came and flipped how women were treated completely, right? That's like, Jesus was like women's liberation <laughs> in the cultural context. Yeah. And um, and and they also viewed this about sex itself. Like when you get to, you know, some of the early church fathers, all the, you know, Tertullian and Jerome, I mean, they had a very low view of sex. They, mm-hmm. they viewed it as very negative. They viewed it as very worldly. They didn't have a... a you know, and again, we are a people who believe in strong sexual convictions and ethics, but we would certainly celebrate that there is a there is a profound gift of sex within the union of marriage that should be mm-hmm. celebrated, not not rejected. And so, when you see this, what you realize is that some of this came into the church because there were there were really worldly, uh, broken thoughts that got infused that had a low view of women, a low view of sex, a low view of marriage, and I think that that this really infected the church. And then part of that is because. Uh, one of the reasons for the restrictive passages, which we, which we need to look at here in a second, is uh, because in the early church, what we don't understand is that the cultic presence of pagan practices were predominantly led by women. Yeah. And what's happening in the early church is as those women are getting saved, you have priestesses who are getting saved, you have women who are part of mystery cults getting saved, you have temple prostitutes getting saved. These are women who functioned in their places with really distorted patterns and leadership. And clearly we see from the scriptures, those are now coming into the church. And what happens when that happens is you can overcorrect and then buy into things. And so I want to say the early church faced some really, really painful things connected to women in ministry. And my guess is there was a response to that that, that was worthy and then went too far. And yeah. so I think that's, that's, that's how we go. So, so let's, you know, uh, uh, one, one more thought and then we'll dive into this passage. I think it's important for us to remember even the vision of Galatians and, you know, Colossians, right? Galatians says there's no longer Jew nor Gentile slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Colossians says, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but all are Christ, all are in Christ. These are two visions, right? The Galatians passage specifically mentions men and women. The Colossians doesn't, but they're both speaking to the same thing, which is that there has been this dividing wall of humanity that has come crashing down in Jesus. Yeah. And these passages are talking about more than salvation because all of these people could get saved prior to this awareness. All of them could have come into the community of Israel and found Yahweh. This is not a statement of who can be saved, but something that has now happened in salvation. And, uh, and that's an empowerment. So why, why, why do people not believe in women in ministry? In essence, it's because there are two distinct passages in the Bible uh, that are restrictive. And, um, and the first is in 1 Timothy 2. And the second is in 1 Corinthians 14. And let's look at the 1 Timothy one first, and then we'll look at this 1 Corinthians one. Let me just read it. So this is what 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15 says. It says, um, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All right? So this is a fun that's direct language. So I get it, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what people also need to recognize is it's a weird passage. Part of, part of what, what, what people don't read through is going, hey, there's this really weird statement about the end of women and childbearing. And it, yeah. it, what it needs to do is give us a, a clue that something strange is taking place. Why in the world does Paul need to remind the church of Ephesus, which is the church that Timothy is pastoring, uh, that women are still saved if they have children. <laughs> like, like that should actually yeah. go, huh, that's confusing. Yeah. Why is he doing this? And, um, and I want to say this, that, that uh, this is a passage we need to be submitted to. Mm-hmm. We hold the Bible and we don't take parts of the Bible and go, oh, that's just uh, old history or that's just culture. Now, yeah. part of how we hold the Bible is that the Bible is full of truth, but it's full of truths that are need to be understood in context because, and here's a great example, and we'll get into in a second. Uh, the Bible says women should wear head coverings, and I yeah. don't see you wearing one, Becky, and it's a real point of offense for me. <laughs> we believe in the authority of Scripture, and um, is this just is just, just as a part of the New Testament that doesn't matter anymore? Well, that's actually a really bad way to read the Bible, by the way. Don't ever, right. read, don't ever read the New Testament like that, anyone. Um, or is Paul trying to speak something that in his generation head coverings represented? And so the issue is not whether women should or should not wear head coverings, but we need to understand the truth of what was trying to be communicated because that, whatever that is, we need in our churches, right? So I'll get back to that in a second. But here, what I want to say is that uh, uh, what we have is, is Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. I want to say even this, there, the, the word authority is used 92 times in the New Testament, but every other time it is a different word than this. This is a different word of authority, which is only used this one time. And we have to understand that. And it's a distinct kind of authority. It's an abusive authority. Mm. I'm not making this up. This is literally what the Greek means. Uh, it's a Greek word, authentinian, and it literally means to dominate over, to bark commands, and to have an abusive form of authority, which is exactly what was happening in the mystery cults. This is how mystery cults led. And so I think we first and foremost, and that doesn't mean I dismiss this passage. It just means we have to understand that when we read it like we read it, we're actually misaligning it. If we were reading it, as it says, it would say, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have abusive authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, that doesn't change Paul's first thought or his third thought, but it does mean that this authority Paul doesn't want women to have is distinctly a a kind of authority. And I think that we have to understand that. And here, when we get to this place, what we also recognize is that Paul has actually clearly in other places affirmed women's role in communicating in the church. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, or in 11, he actually talks about, he says this, when women pray and prophesy in the church. So what we know is that clearly women had a role and a function in the church. And I would say from other aspects of scripture and other places in the New Testament, we see that women taught all over the place. They taught in private, they taught in public. And, um, and I think we have to wrestle with that. And then even when we get to this, because this is to me the clue of the passage. Paul then goes what? For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner and women will be saved through childbearing. Well, why, why do you need to clarify that, Paul? <laughs> Why, why do you need to take time? We can go back to Genesis and be reminded Adam was indeed made first, and then Eve was made second. And, and Eve was indeed the one who was deceived first. And Adam also then was deceived second and fully deceived. This was a, a cooperate thing. Um, but part of what's happening is that in the first century was written a, a thing called the myth of Sophia. And the myth of Sophia was the Gnostic 
retelling of the creation story. And it has its dates right back to the very time that Paul was writing to Timothy in this very season. And Gnosticism was the growing heresy that was really consuming and hurting the church, which Paul and John, by the way, spend most of their life in ministry defending against. And uh, we'll have to understand Gnosticism in, a, in an entirely other conversation. But the nature of the myth of Sophia, this is a, an aspect of Gnostic belief, taught what? It taught that Eve was created first, then Adam. It taught that Eve was not actually deceived, that the serpent was coming to help her. And this knowledge from that he was giving her was actually a gift that God was trying to hide. And so this is why in Gnostic culture, they believed women were the holders of sacred truth that men did not have. You have to understand, in Paul's, when he's writing this to Timothy, the cultural belief was that women had an insight into sacred truth that men were incapable of having. And the only way you got it was by coming under their authority and all of these pagan practices, which include drugs and orgies and mystical practices and temple prostitutes and bad stuff, witchcraft, all of this stuff. This is what's coming into the church of Ephesus. And here, why would Paul need to, to, to re-clarify the creation story? And why would he need to talk about childbearing? Well, as part of this myth and part of these Gnostic beliefs, they believed in this very dualistic idea that the spiritual good is good and the physical was bad. And if you partook in the physical, you lost this gnosis, this special knowledge. And so it was actually very widely taught among Gnostic communities that women who bore children something so physical actually lost part of their sacred nature. And this was coming into the church uh, that Paul. So Paul is writing saying, guys, the Genesis story is clear. Eve, Eve wasn't made first and somehow given an authority over. Eve wasn't right. She was deceived. He's clarifying. He's saying, women, of course, women can be saved if they have children, as long as they do what? Do what everybody else has to do to be saved. And wow. his whole point here is that this is a false teaching that has broken into the community. And I believe Paul told Timothy, do not let women teach. And this was a restriction for Timothy. And I would say that the way I hold this is that in this season of Timothy's ministry and this season in the life of Ephesus, Paul viewed that there was too much confusion about the role of women in ministry that he didn't feel comfortable. It was easier for him to bring this restriction because one thing we have to understand is for Paul, he believes there are many freedoms of what we've been won in Christ. Mm. But all of those freedoms are now submitted to what is good for the gospel. And the minute any of our freedoms stop being good for the gospel, it's time to bring them into restriction. And so I believe here what we see is Paul saying, hey, this I'm not going to allow this. This is not going to happen. Women do not get to teach. They don't get to have this kind of abuse of authority. They don't get to do this. And I'm going to tell you, they have the creation story wrong. They don't get to come in, Tim, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and convince your church of a Gnostic truth, which is garbage and it's a lie. We have to hold to this. And I think the question then becomes, right, is, is so here what's happening in, in Timothy, is this for all churches or is this only for some? And I would say in light of the rest of the New Testament, I think we have to hold this with a balance that clearly I would say it is not widespread because of everything else we see in scripture, but it is here and it needs to be listened to. Then we go to the first Corinthians passage, first Corinthians 14, which is, says this, women should be silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak at church. Now, again, this is a harder passage than we are going to have time for, uh, but I want to say this. One, um, clearly, Paul, three chapters earlier, just told women how to pray and prophesy publicly in church. Right. So either Paul's a liar, the Bible's not true, or this passage isn't as clear as we think it is. Right. So I would say this, whatever Paul means by this, he doesn't mean that women should stay in full silence because three chapters earlier, he told them not to be silent and that he gave them clear instruction on how to pray and prophesy publicly in church. Because part of what we have to understand is that the church in Corinth is completely out of order. This is a wild Pentecostal Holy Spirit community <laughs> functioning in tons of broken freedoms. And Paul's like, you're done. We're not doing that anymore. We're getting everything in order. And a lot of the book of First Corinthians is about putting themselves back in order. Yeah. And here he clearly says that part of what is disorder is mm -hmm. how women are interacting in the church. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and what I believe he's speaking to here is the vision of understanding that I think what was taking place was that women, who were, by the way, far more illiterate than men, 
women who, in, in, in the culture that they were living in, women whose place of honor was in the home, women who, uh, in the nature of an ancient culture, were far more connected to the, the role of leading the home in child rearing, and therefore would have not had access to nearly as much as men would, were yeah. disrupting the community during church services by continually wanting to ask questions. And Paul is saying that actually is not okay. You can't be disruptive to the way a service is flowing just because you have questions. You need to carry a different posture. More we could say, I actually think there's more in that passage uh, even now, but I, 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 wanna, I wanna honor our time in the midst of yeah. this. But uh, what I would say is that this passage again must be submitted to. He's talking about a church that needs to function in order. And the vision of women in ministry is not a vision of disorder. Women mm -hmm. don't get to do whatever they want to do in church, nor do men get to do whatever they want to do in church. We are following and submitted to an order that communicates the fullness of Jesus and the fullness mm -hmm. of the gospel. So here, I believe this, but I don't believe that this is an overriding restriction of everything else that Paul has said in the church. And even if you get back to 1 Corinthians 11, there is this picture of Paul inviting women to wear head coverings, which actually is an incredibly important passage that people have yeah. zero clue about. Because here's why, Becky, what's happening in the Corinthian church is that these women are becoming so free in Christ. What are they mm -hmm. doing? They are disassociating themselves from what it means to be a woman in church. Mm. They're throwing off their head coverings. They're shaving their head. These traditional signs of both femininity and yeah. marriage, they are coming and going, I'm free. I'm free in Jesus. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. And this is what's so beautiful. Paul's whole heart here is actually women. When you come into the church, you don't need to be men. Mm. You get to be women. And in fact, you have to be women. The church yeah. desperately needs women who are women. And there are many kinds of women. But Paul's word here, and this is what we see so often, and again, so much more we could talk about it, but that what Paul is seeing is that the women of the Corinthian church are falsely using their freedom for mm. something that is out of order. And part of that is that they are choosing to disconnect themselves and not communicate the gender that God gave them in creation. That, that gender matters to him. And he basically says, don't you dare come into public services and not actually communicate that you're a woman. And I wow. think that's beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, so much more can be said, but here's what I want to say. I honor those passages. I honor the difficulty of those passages. And I believe there are only two conclusions that we can come to. Either, mm -hmm. if we take a holistic view of the Bible when it comes to women in ministry, either women are invited into every aspect of the church, period, mm -hmm. or women are invited into every aspect of the church, but maybe whatever would be a senior role. And I would say both of those positions can be biblical. And I want to mm -hmm. honor, I would think this is where we need to end, is I would say anything other than those two positions is really, you're just dismissing part of the Bible. Yeah. But those two positions, people with great integrity can come to them. And that's why we have to hold them with honesty and with charity and with love and with dignity and why I respect people who hold some different convictions than me. But what is clear is that women were made for the body of Christ, mm -hmm. were made to serve the body of Christ. Women were made to reach the world. Women are called to ministry, and we desperately need women in ministry, but not as rogue, angry, bitter women who I understand how they might feel that way in a yeah. sense of feeling unwanted or repressed, but mm -hmm. we must, again, not build out of reaction. We must build out of the beauty of Jesus. So that is a vision of women in ministry. Oh, so good. I I learned so much in that. That was like our first um, course. Is that was the first of Jesus Culture podcast theological courses. So good. Um, I did not know about the the myth of Sophia. Just what I'm realizing, Phil, as you're talking, is man, it is work. It is work to understand. Um, to understand those passages and that we can't be flippant and we can't be surface in, you know, and, and also what I kept going back to is, oh, this is a matter of measuring scripture against scripture. Like you can't, you have to use scripture to interpret scripture. So when Paul says three verses, three chapters previously, hey women, here's how you prophesy and pray. And then he says, I don't allow a woman to speak in church. You can't take either of those and isolate them and then build a theology out of them. We just have to read the full context and, 
so much, like you said, right, there's doctorates on this, <laughs> this issue and books and volumes and, and so much, um, teaching that we could do, but, um, I'd love, um, Oh, what I was also going to say is that to understand those two passages, what I, what I want to say for women listening is to understand that those were written in response to something. They were not, right? That's what the epistles are. They are, a, they are Paul's response to a moment that's happening. And you have to look at that, what it was a response to. And I'm encouraged, um, I would also encourage people, and I'm encouraged myself, that that information is out there. The history is out there. Like, it's, it's not forever a mystery. We have no idea what he was responding to. We actually do. <laughs> we do know what he was responding to. And we can understand that. And um, it's, it's the beautiful part of being students of the word and being disciples of Jesus. It is, Becky. And even from right now, I'm like, oh, there's 10,000 other things I, you know, I want to say, because again, yeah. there's, there's so much depth to this and both mm-hmm. honoring the struggle of the passages and then the beauty of the New Testament and the way Paul structured the early church and mm-hmm. what that would have meant and what's the difference between the apostolic community and the prophetic community and those who led local churches and yeah. why we probably see in the New Testament more women in those mm-hmm. places of prophetic and apostolic roles than we do mm-hmm. with pastoral roles. I think it had a lot to do with family and Paul's expectations of what happened when you started a family and what women were capable and not capable of. And clearly we see Paul has this high view of celibacy. Why? Why does Paul have such a high view of celibacy? Because it was in the ancient world, it was freedom that that you didn't have. If you chose to get married and chose to have children, you chose a very restrictive thing, a beautiful thing, a worthy thing. But, But there's a reason Paul says, man, I wish you were more like me because yeah. he understood that being single in the ancient world had profound freedoms and he mm-hmm. wanted people to walk with those freedoms. And so, yeah. um, and our world's a little bit different, right? We're not quite as restricted when we have married and we have children, though we must honor the restrictions they do come with. Absolutely. Oh, so much. I know so much I want to say, but what I'm, what I'm hoping is that this is, I hope this invites people into the study. I hope it makes them hungry. I hope it, it provides understanding even, even in my, um, I would say too, I had a lot of uh, girls respond, Phil, of, well, what do I do? I feel the call to ministry, but I'm in a church that doesn't permit it. What would you say to those women? What would you say to those young young women? I would say this, you are loved and seen by God. Mm-hmm. And um, the Lord honors when we can come in a humble spirit and submit even to leadership that doesn't fully see us, and may hold different convictions than us. Yep. And I would trust the Lord that yeah. if he, we have to steward this out of love, mercy, and honor, mm-hmm. out of bitterness and rejection. Yes. What I would say is I would go to the Lord and I would say, Father, have you put me in this church family? Yep. And do I need to belong in this church family? And if the answer is yes, yep. then you need to find ways to honor, even in disagreement, mm-hmm. and, yep. not, and then move forward towards ministry out of your own life. That he will, yeah. event. and then if he says you're released, mm-hmm. then I would encourage you to go find a church family that would bless you and empower you. But I wouldn't start there. I would go to the Lord. Yes, and trust that the Lord is um, in charge of your destiny, not man. And um, that's important, and that He does see you and to recognize that. And oh my, there's I I feel like we could have a follow up conversation too because I'd love to. We spend a lot of time, and, and Bannon's great at this, of, of talking to men in leadership and what to say to them to, to understand the struggle that, that women have and, and the different, what they come to the table with and the different uh, hurdles that there are to empower women in ministry. It is a different hurdle, you know. My senior pastor has to allow for maternity leave. I'm getting ready to have a baby. And, and he's honest about that. Hey, our youth ministry now has to take a step back for three months but we value and believe in your call and we're, and we make room to do that. And so there's so much room for, for oh, men. Yeah. And, oh, uh, yeah. and one final thought, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, even in you saying that, I, if we could disconnect it mm-hmm. uh, and be unemotional, right. Yeah. You just be like, well, yeah, it's easier. It's easier, yeah, it's easier to empower men. You don't, you know, motherhood and there's an expectation men have a, 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 a maybe this different way of, of uh, work and life yeah. and parenting, whatever the case may be. But here's Absolutely. the thing. We can't rule without each other. Yes. We were made to co-rule. Adam couldn't rule without Eve. 
There was mm-hmm. something that he couldn't bring to the table. And I believe that about the church. I actually mm-hmm. believe much of what gets distorted about the church is because there is only one of God's kingdom rulers present at the table. And what is happens in gender is what, 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 what often happens is women restrict mm-hmm. the worst parts of men and bring out the best parts of men. And <laughs> yeah. men restrict the worst parts of women and bring out the best parts of women when it's done in honor. And boy, we yeah. need that in the church. Yeah. And we need that full image, the full image of God, the full image bearers. So, so again, if you're listening, um, and if you listen, what I do want to say is we are open to your questions. This is not, Hey, we won't address anything else. Like if you are listening and there is something burning in your heart, please respond, DM us. Um, you can DM the Jesus culture account and that's where we're getting your, your, uh, feedback and your questions. And we will happily address them. Like we love that. We're not you know, we have said several times, we're not afraid. We're not afraid of what these passages say. We're not afraid of the questions. We're not afraid of that. And it really is our desire to to help pastor and to, to equip you as you're walking out your, your life and your call and your walk with Jesus. So I want to open that up because I understand, you know, this is as, you know, oh, well, what about and this and that? And that's like, let's have that conversation. We'd love to. And so we're available for that. So um, I love this. I'm so glad that we talked about it, that we tackled it. And it's an ongoing conversation that we will continue to have as, as leaders in the church. So thank you guys for listening. And again, if you have any questions, just feel free to to shoot them our way and Phil and I will bring them to the table and we can dive back into it and talk about different contexts and different life experiences and, and all that good stuff. But, um, hopefully you've been encouraged, enlightened, challenged, um, relieved, all those things. So thanks so much for, for joining us for this topic. Phil, that was amazing. Fun. And, and, and last thought, women, yeah. uh, you are loved and seen by God. Yes. And you've got to hold on to that. And you are loved and seen by many, by many. And I love yeah. and see you. And so yeah, okay. you just got to receive that. I love that. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you guys next time. We'll see you guys next time. We'll hear from you. We'll talk to you. And never want to know what to say for a podcast. We'll be with you guys next time. Bye.